Hello guys, welcome to the show. You might hear the birds tweeting in the background. It's going to be a good one. It's a boxing uh, flavoured one. We are in my garden in Cheltenham, the front garden. Sun's out, beautiful summer's day. I've got a man who was challenging for a Commonwealth title not long ago, won the English title at super welterweight or light middle uh, for those traditionalists, 154 pounds, 11 stone, just last uh, September won the English title, but has had to retire this year. It's a local lad uh, from Tewkesbury, or Tewkesbury, as uh, the locals call it. It is uh, Adam Harper. Adam, appreciate you coming to see me, because I know it's been a difficult year. How are you, mate? It's great to, great to see you and have a coffee with you. Yes, I'm all, I'm all good, Ed. Thanks for having me over. Obviously, uh, settling into retirement now. Got a few things going on, still involved in the sport of boxing. Um, I'm recently sitting my scoring test for refereeing. Um, I'll be the head coach for the Worcester University boxing team from September. So I've got a few things going on at the minute and just trying to relax and ease myself into retirement, really. Yeah, good for you, mate. It's been a shock. Um, we'll get to refereeing in a moment because it's, it's good timing because you've just done your, your first weekend of that and what it's like to be on the opposite side. Not, not the enemy, but I know in football that they think the referee is the enemy. But the, the decision to retire came back out of the blue. So looking at your record, you've never been knocked out. But it was just a regulation brain scan in January, wasn't it, that came up with something? Yeah, so I've had 41 amateur fights, 10 pro fights, never been given a standing eight count in any amateurs. Uh, got put down once as a pro due to a, a nightmare making weight. But yeah, never been knocked out or seriously hurt, but that probably was my undoing. But we have to have a, a yearly brain scan. Yeah. And um, every year I've, I've passed, but I had a funny feeling this year because I had a, a big 12 rounder against Rafa. Yeah. Obviously, for, you for guys, a Commonwealth title Commonwealth in Australia. Ta- yeah, and obviously you guys will be familiar. He boxed Calbrook. And uh, oh, it was a torrid 12 rounds, really. It was a beatdown. I'm not going to be one for lying and making that as close. It was a. Like a, horrif- a horrific fight for me. You hadn't expected to fight him, though. No, I was due to fight Anthony Buttyegg and the politics around that. <laughs> a few people say it was a stitch up, and you know I'm beginning to think that now. It feels a bit like it, but so Sarafa came in and just gave, he hammered me for twelve rounds. Really, I've never been beaten up like that. Yeah. Um, so now I had my brain, and then obviously I'd retired after that. I lost that fight after getting smashed about in Australia. I came back and I was going to retire. Really? Yeah, because I had issues of. I came back with bad headaches. I had to have two scans at Cheltenham General actually mm. when I got back in the in the country. And then uh, my brother had begged me reti- to retire after the Ryan Kelly win, which was the May before in 2016 for the Midlands. He said, "You've done this. You've been on TV. You've you've won a title. Just pack up." Even and, though you're undefeated at that. point. Yeah, he wanted. He's never been an advocate of me boxing. He was so determined for me to retire. But I said, "Look, I can still win a few more." So when I came back, I thought, you know. Oh, pack up now I don't need to do this anymore I just thought I've had enough of it and obviously the headaches weren't getting yeah. any better that went on for about a month really the, the feeling a bit groggy and that and then uh, stupidly got the, the buzz back for it and got offered the English title fight which was always my dream starting out if you ever read any articles I was just saying if I can win an English title I retire happily and then um, Billy what, Bird in September was Billy it, yeah. Bird yeah on an MTK show down in Brentwood um, beat him over 10 rounds Split decision, but I think that was. Uh, I can't. I can't, ins- I can't insult the referees now because I'm one of them, aren't yeah, I? So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I think I beat him comfortably by a few rounds. Um, so I won that, and then I was due to fight Kieran Smith, who's a very good Scottish kid, six foot two, Southpaw. Um, it was the contracts were signed for the WBC International. Yeah. And then I had my regular my brain scan that you have every year, and given I hadn't had one since the Sarafa fight, so I had the Sarafa fight, which was torrid twelve rounds. Yeah. The bird fight, which is a routine 10 rounder, really, for me. It wasn't really a struggle. The, the, as I've spoke to you before, the struggle was making weight. Mm. Um, 
and then I had the brain scan. It came back that I've like developed a condition called cavum septum pellucium. I think that's how you pronounce the last bit. Mm. So it's basically a split in the membrane that protects part of your brain. Um, wow. I think that's how how you would describe it. Yeah. And they were just the specialist I spoke to said if I continue to box and um, you know could in it could increase the chances of early onset dementia, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, whatever you want to say. So it's for me, they were like the, I thought enough's enough. And I made a promise to my brother that I would retire the day I got a change on my scan. If it did come, I'd walk away. So I didn't go and see the, I had to see a neuro scientist or psychologist, uh, not a psychologist. I can't, uh, not a neurologist, something neurologist. And I didn't even want yeah. to entertain the idea. I thought I've had a change. I'm, I'm out of it now. I've won my English title. So they, did they say to you, you can't box again? Or it was, it was just a lightning rod for you to say, no, that's it. Yeah, no, yeah. It was a lightning rod really. So I had to go and see this neurologist. I can't remember the special, like the type of neurologist it was. I had to go and see them to get the green light. But I spoke to a specialist about the condition that I developed and what they told me was scary enough. Obviously, like I always said, if I had a change, I, I would retire. But I was obviously flirting with the idea because I was seeing, I spoke to different specialists, but yeah. I didn't want to spend the money that I had to spend to go and see a neurologist, even though it was for my own welfare. I just thought enough's enough when the specialist said that early onset dementia and stuff. Because it becomes hard to get a licence as well, does it, at some point? Yeah. Or, or well, is it just ongoing, the licence? How does it So the, you pay a yearly fee for your licence and you have to have a medical, all your medicals, you pay your licence fees. Um, so I paid for my licence, but obviously you need your medical for it to be, to your licence to be in place. So with my medical not being, I guess, approved because I failed the brain scan, mm. um, I just didn't even want to entertain the idea of trying to challenge it. Like I said, that specialist, what they told me was scary enough. I thought, you can't be messing with your health. And no. I'm not a stupid lad. I've got you know life outside of boxing. I've got the referee in now. I've got the coach in the university team. Um, I've got other things going on. So life's bigger than competing in boxing. As, as sad as I am, you know, I, I don't have to watch my weight anymore and I can just live a normal life. And for the first time, I'm kind of content with living this normal life and doing what a normal 31-year-old man should be doing. Yeah, you mentioned that. You are young and you only turned pro in 2014. So effectively, it was four years pro. You won, you know, m- most of your fights, nine fights, apart from Zarafa, of 10 professional fights. So it's, it seems really premature. But you hinted it there. It's interesting that you were considering retirement before and you mentioned money as well and I had a chat with Tony Bellew at dinner uh, earlier this year and he was talking about only being you know a fortunate part of one percent of boxers who retire financially set because what you found is despite you going to the heady heights winning an English title going out to Australia to challenge for a Commonwealth title the money isn't there that people necessarily perceive which is said difficult when you're driving around in your Peugeot 206. Yeah I mean I think you look at people have a misconception like you said they see AJ on TV and like we were speaking about earlier, other sportsmen, you look at uh, social media, Instagram, people have a very bad misconception that sportsmen are on like, a, I think people thought I was on a wage for a certain time, which, really? is, which is nonsense. You know, if you don't fight, you don't get paid. So when my original Commonwealth got postponed for six months, if you think I was essentially training for 10, 12 months or one payday, which wasn't that good. If anything, I came back from Australia with a headache more than any money. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't really, you know... you have to pay for the trainers, you have to pay for the gyms, you have to pay for all your food and everything, equipment. Yeah, so some managers will charge you just 25% to be their manager, which is, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to give my opinion on that, but <laughs> you wouldn't have seen me okay. paying 25%. Um, some is 10% and you pay your trainer 10%. So this can all change, so it can be a lot, a lot more than that. Um, so yeah, you've got to pay people, then you have a nutritionist, strength and conditioning, you've got to pay for all your kit. 
you know, I was blessed enough to have some good sponsors. Um, yeah. A guy called Chris Jones, who owned Westminster Projects. He's like a friend of mine and my brother's. And um, he was a great guy. He always helped me out, especially for the English title. I was like at rock bottom, just lost my first fight as a pro. And he financially helped me out so I could take part in that fight. Otherwise, it would have been harder than people imagine. You've got to pay for training. I was yeah. traveling to Birmingham every day. So that's, you know, five, six times going up the motorway. It's not cheap when you've, even no. if you've got a 206, you know, you still yeah. got to put fuel in there. and. Um, so yeah it's not what people think and you've got to sell tickets there's a lot of fighters out there if they don't sell tickets they won't get paid and there are professional fighters who don't get paid for fighting well, is, is it a is it sport that rewards talent and skill or is it a, a sport that rewards you know I guess we live in a celebrity culture popularity to a, to a certain extent people get maybe protected early on because they sell tickets yeah definitely and I'll correct what you said there I wouldn't even say it's a sport it's a business that rewards <laughs> popularity ticket selling um, there's some mad stuff that goes on that probably I'd be better off not talking about, but it's definitely about how many tickets you can sell and you can be protected and money can do anything for you if you're a ticket seller, you know, and uh, you can definitely be looked after so you, and they can make sure that you don't lose. Um, but I've, I've got to be careful what I say because yeah. I only box journeymen for the first seven fights of mine. Yeah, first seven fights are all journeymen. Yeah, but and that can be a... I mean, those guys, they're nudge, nudge, wink, wink, not necessarily expected to win, but that can almost be a better career than being a high-flying domestic professional kind of in terms of someone winning titles you said that the money involved because these guys can get almost a, a regular income as long as their health's intact yeah of course so a good friend of mine is lewis van pooch he's just had his hundredth uh, pro fight as a journeyman i boxed lewis actually we weren't friends at the time um but then i, I got to bring this up i had to buy him a fry up after the fight so <laughs> I, I hope he listens to this he still owes me money well, he's got to make weight every week isn't he <laughs> yeah well yeah not that I, I think he struggles a bit with that yeah. but yeah he earns good money doing that so he boxes every week twice a month whatever it may be another one jordan granham who was a top top amateur but just couldn't sell tickets so these guys are making more money than all prospects yeah they're fighting every week and uh lewis van pooch is he's been on podcasts and he's explained how much money you get so we get a thousand pound for four rounds 1500 for six nearly two grand for eight it'll be more if it's on tv you yeah paid a bit of extra theoretically if all's being well you could fight four times a month yeah so essentially imagine if you did four six rounders that's six grand a month on top of your day job most of these guys have got a day jobs so yeah yeah they can earn good money the journeyman and they're not boxing once twice a year like i was they're boxing up to you know 15 times a season so that's where the money really lies unless you're like a tony bellew at the top of the tree on pay-per-view yeah. but even some of these guys i think i looked at listen to a david hay interview once and he said the money for his maybe european title fight he spent he spent all that money on a training camp just getting there so <laughs> it's kind of madness you know you've got to be very cute yeah. with what you do and because it soon goes and you have got to be sensible because there's not the money involved in and i guess it's like you, we spoke earlier about all sports even at football at the lowest yeah. level there's not the money that you know you've got to be very yeah you hear, you hear stories about league two footballers almost trying to live up to the, the pogba image and things like that buying 700 pound t-shirts of that are earning 400 pounds a week as players and it doesn't quite but they have to front a little bit to, to do that but it sounds like you've always been erring more on the sensible side and that's why perhaps you've looked at retirement because you you want to have a solid financial base yeah, of course. Like, I'm not, well, as you can tell, I've got my scruffy Adidas t-shirt on and my night joggers and I drive a clatter 206. Could be limited edition for all I know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not, Ed. But my point being, I'm not one for you. I don't ever, and I never have wanted to live this social media life of yeah. trying to make out to be someone I'm not because it just doesn't, I don't think it suits anybody and I wouldn't want to do that. You know, like, I have been happy in retirement because I've been smart with what money I have you know made through working outside of boxing in boxing and saving up since like a young kid so i've got property that i rent out and 
you know, I'm, I'm very sensible with what I do do. I don't go out partying. I'm teetotal, so I'm happy yeah. to retire. You know, look, so you, you haven't you haven't had to grieve it at all. Like you know, you, you imagine that people sometimes have to grieve the loss of their, their their first career. You haven't felt like that. You just felt like it's you almost like kind of right. You know, switches flicked. Let's crack on. To a certain degree, I think for the first week or two, I was I was devastated. I won't, I won't lie. I did shed a tear like when I found out I, ha- I was going to retire because I knew it was the end of an era. So I'd done this for eleven years now. I've been boxing amateur and pro, and it's given me that routine. I was getting out of bed at six every morning. Now I can, you know, I can get out of bed and go running at ten, eleven, yeah. one in the afternoon. So I, I do. So miss you haven't got a kid then. No, no, <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no children yet. So. No lining then. I can um, even though I'll be up early. My alarm, my body clock always gets me up early, but I don't have to go out running. You know, I'd have yeah. to be out five, six in the morning sometimes, then go and train. So I'm a, like a man of leisure now. I do what I want when I want. But I miss that. So you still run that, don't you? Yeah, I run every day. Yeah, I do mad runs. I can run up to 14 miles a day, 12 wow. miles, 10 miles. I love running. It's like my solitude. I find a lot of peace when I'm running up in the hills in Breeden. Obviously, you know the area. Yeah, so yeah beautiful. Anyone Breeden who follows Hill, me yeah. on social media will see my stories. Always running up mad hills and. You know, I find you know find a lot of happiness still training, but I just don't have to diet and all that. But you, it sounds mad. You moan about diet and you moan about training for like ten years. And my old coach used to say to me <laughs> that when it goes, you'll you'll miss this, and you think he's a bit crazy saying that, but you do miss it when it's gone because it's all you've done for ten years. But like I said, it, it's gone now. I've had my moment. I've been grateful for everything I've done. I've been on TV. I've had plenty of coverage from the press and. Like I've had a you know a great career for me. I've achieved more than what I really thought I could have done, if I'm honest. So now it's just about giving back. Like I said, the mm. refereeing, the plan is to be one of the best refs in the country. I think I, I can, I hope to be one of the best refs in the country and doing the little boxing club at the university. So I've got other things going on. I'm still involved and I still enjoy it as much as I did when I was fighting myself. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great that you've got that enthusiasm still for the sport to stay in it because as you say, as a, as a professional, it's been frustrating at times in terms of the finance involved and can be a little bit of a popularity contest rather than a, a test of, of talent. But this fact you're staying in it presumably is because of what the sport's given you in your life and how much appreciation you have for it. What did it give you? Because you had a, a difficult background, didn't you? And like a lot of boxers who I speak to, people like Dillian White and other people, you didn't necessarily have a father in your life growing up. No, yeah, so mainly it was me, my brother and my mum um, growing up. Never, we, I've never met my dad. My brother met him when he was maybe one and a half, so we, we, neither of us have got any memories of, of my dad. Um, so then it's really just been us and a single mum forever. And then obviously got a pair of boxing gloves at a car boot sale. We had to have one glove each because my mum was skint, <laughs> and um, that, that was just the way it was. So Did you get left or right? I think I had the left, but it was always result. <laughs> I've said this before. It result in my brother. Uh, the result would be me dancing around for a bit, and my brother would just hammer me, and I'd be <laughs> in tears on the sofa saying, "I'm not doing this again." And and then um, me and my mum had a breakdown in relationship, kicked out of home at 16. Wow. And I moved over to Cheltenham, over here to quite a bad part where it was like a sheltered accommodation where there was like drug users, young offenders coming out of young offender institutions. And it was a bit of a scary time for me because I've just been like a, lived in small villages, a bit of like a farm. Yeah, because Tewkesbury's Chooch- quite a small sort of rural rural town, isn't it? Yeah, and we lived in the villages around it, Appley, Twinning. Okay. So like quite like secluded places where there wasn't a lot going on. So I was a bit of a, a wimp really back in the day. But when I, when I moved out here, I kind of realised... I'm going to have to do something to be able to stick up for myself because these are like, bad kids compared to me. Yeah. So I started going boxing and 
got the love for it a bit and gave me a lot more confidence. But then with that came... What what gym was that? Because Cheltenham, because it's funny, because I didn't even necessarily, I should have registered, obviously working in boxing as a as a journalist, I should have registered your name, but you almost don't look out for boxers in this area because it's not a hotbed. But what gym was it that you kind of, you learned the craft or got a taste for it? I got a taste for it, actually, at a place called Trojan Free Fighters that was down by the train station. That was like mainly Thai boxing. It was a guy called Ronnie Mann. Is there like a weights gym down there as well, is that... Or is that there's another one by the station down there? Yeah, well. There was two down by the station. Yeah. Oh, that might be trim, Trimnasium, Trinasium. Oh, okay, yeah. So it was with a guy called Ronnie Mann. He was doing the Thai boxing, um, but obviously I can't kick a football, let alone anybody <laughs> else. So I thought I'll stick to the boxing. Went to Cheltenham Boxing Academy, which is a guy called Pat Lewis. He was a bit of a character in amateur boxing, but that's how I met my old amateur coaches. They were there helping, and then they made their own gym in Chooksbury eventually. But it was. In between that time, before I met my amateur coaches, I got in a bit of trouble. Me and my friends were always going out drinking, and lads being lads, didn't have any father. Like I didn't have a father figure, and Did that, you lack discipline. You think for not having a dad, not a mentor, just to steer you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I don't know, just a bit of respect for everyone, including myself. I was a law unto myself, and just thought I could go around doing whatever I wanted. I had no boundaries set, especially when I was living on my own from sixteen. So. Not that I ever did, but if I wanted to come in at 4am, I'd come in at 4am. Yeah. If I wanted to get up at, out of bed at 11am, mm. I would. I hadn't met boxing properly. There was no discipline in my life. and So, yeah, we got in a bit of trouble. We ended up in court and me and my friend uh, were found not guilty. And that was a turning point for me. That's when I ploughed everything into boxing. And then, um, yeah, obviously... That Turned was pro relatively late, did you, for a few yeah, years? Well, yeah, my first amateur fight was just before I was 21. So I started relatively late anyway. Yeah. Um, had 41 fights and then turned pro at 26 just because I finished university and I thought I, I want to have a crack at this before because I'd had a good amateur season the year before my last season and then my last season was awful and I, I had that horrible feeling I was going to be if I didn't turn pro I would have uh, gone down that like almost amateur journeyman route where mm. you just with the kid who's been done alright and everyone wants to box you and beat you and get a bit of a name on their record so I thought turn pro I sold massive tickets to start with Did so you? I thought I could earn a few quid just selling tickets where were you boxing locally in Chooksbury yeah, Chooksbury yeah. School um, Haverley Manor like nice. GL1 all the local places so people could come and if you can sell tickets you can earn a few quid and I was, I was selling sold nearly 300 for my debut 250 every time I boxed in Chooksbury or locally Yeah. and then obviously I got my big shot so you're getting more potential for those fights than you even would for the Commonwealth title would it be close in money or was it uh, it wasn't far off for the Pucci fight because it was an eight rounder and that was like billed as a local derby because he was from <laughs> Lydney and he bought like 10 fans with a drum and I think I sold 270 yeah um, yeah I, I did alright out of that to be fair yeah like um, for, for a small hall boxing I did alright yeah. out of it and um, nowhere near as big as the Commonwealth but like it wasn't if you compare it for like the effort you could work like you could still go to work for those kind of journeyman fights if, I don't want to sound disrespectful to journeyman but I could have beaten all the journeymen yeah. just training half-hearted not that I ever did I was a, a religious trainer but if I wanted to I could have beaten them with one hand and that's not being disrespectful but I've always been tough because and, they can't peak they're just ticking over every week yeah of course and I'm not being disrespectful in that because if they, some of those live the life of a prospect and ticket sellers they could get as many wins as me so um, but yeah I could have beaten these guys with one hand so there was no real stress even though I treated every fight like a world title to me yeah. looking back now that I'm not in the hot seat I could look back and go <laughs> I took it far well, too you serious. were teaching weren't you is that effectively your job yeah I was doing that for, until really the Commonwealth title shot no the Ryan Kelly fight and then I just did cover supervisors just supply work here and there yeah. when I needed the money because obviously like I said you can't live off um 
just your boxing way too. I'd have the training camps off for the fights and I'd get work straight away after. Yeah. And uh, I'd do any kind of work. If I, if I had no supply work, I'd go and in the summer holidays, I'd do some labouring for old bosses that I've had, anything. So this is a misconception about boxing. People think that you haven't got a... Um, you haven't got to be working, but I was working in the yeah. schools, and then around my fights, I'd be doing supply work, and then uh, straight after my fights, I'd be back in work straight away. Well, I know J- Jamie Moore, who's now a sort of esteemed trainer, but he was working, I think, up at European level, he was boxing, but he was still working for his dad's roofing company as well, between that up in Manchester. Yeah, well, that's mad. I didn't, I've never heard that story, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. At European title level, that's, that's good money. That, from yeah. what I've heard, it's good money, yeah. but clearly not. Oh, I don't know, yeah. So, well, he used to treat, well, he said to me that he'd treat after a big win, he'd treat his wife and him to a night in Manchester at the hotel so it shows you it puts in perspective doesn't it it's not like you're flying around the world to, to Hawaii but this is so we spoke we spoke earlier Ed, one of my old opponents well, I won't mention his name so I'm probably not allowed he used to go on vacations after like these mad fights that weren't and his holidays probably cost as much as we were getting paid <laughs> and I was thinking you're crazy like spending all this you know we're working hard for 10-12 weeks yeah beating the crap out of each other and then you're spending all this money on a holiday for me it's it's a bit mad with uh, backwards and mad I can't I can't grasp people that just want to waste that yeah. money on holidays but people might say I'm boring and <laughs> too sensible but yeah it's probably a halfway house isn't it you've got to think about the future but also enjoy the moment as far as the balance yeah I, I think looking back I definitely didn't enjoy the moment like you say I, I was always I'd have my fights and then I'd look for what's next like I said after the win on Sky, I was contacting the promoter in Australia literally three, four hours later. Well, this thing about social media, and I've talked about since I moved to Cheltenham back from London, that met a lot of people locally. Guy put us in touch, Simon Goodwin, former Cheltenham Town footballer. Uh, we think the youngest ever Cheltenham Town footballer also spent some time in Southampton. He's connected us, and I connected with him on Twitter originally, and we sort of connected on Instagram, I think. So it does have benefits, and you use social media to, to actually kind of orchestrate fights, didn't you? Yeah, well, obviously for that fight, I contacted the promoter, we just had a massive win against Ryan Kelly, won the Midlands title on Sky, so it was a massive night for me. But instead of going out partying, straight back to my brothers <laughs> in Cheltenham, Tubber Ben and Jerry's. Which was the Kelly night, was it? Ryan Kelly night? Yeah, this yeah. was a Kelly night at the NEC or the Barclay Card Arena. So 2016, 2017 was it? 2016, yeah, May 13th, 2016, I think. Yeah, yeah. 2016, or maybe 2017. And um, yeah, so straight back to my brothers after that, Tubber Ben and Jerry's, straight on to Box Rec for have a look what I can get English title was held up by Ted Cheeseman I think or he was mandatory to fight for it so I thought have a look at the Commonwealth saw that it just been boxed for got the promoter's name contacted him and it was away from there really and I did it all myself arranged the purse how much I was getting paid transport over there and everything so that was all through the power of social media and obviously you can call out fighters on social media so it is really a, a massive tool and especially for selling tickets but yeah. I definitely used it to my advantage whether it be communicating with promoters and arranging fights and whatnot so it's definitely a good tool for me I can't complain so Commonwealth title you end up going on out on your own without a trainer because you obviously I presume can't afford to take a trainer with you what was what was that like out, that, out in Australia and organizing your accommodation training and and the fight itself which wasn't against the opponent you'd signed up for it was mad so originally we were due to go out in 2017 it was October 2017 so I fought Ryan Kelly in May 2017 and uh, we were due to fight a lad called Anthony Buttiag. And originally I was with my team, my old coach, Malcolm Malvin. Um, the, f- the fight got postponed a week before we were due to fly, or five days, very short amount. We just had a last bar in England and then this happened. Um, then it got put back to March, but me and Malcolm, I'm not going to say I had a disagreement. I kind of went against him and, he, as he says, he gave me the P45. And, <laughs> uh, he pretty much said, if you think you're big enough, go and do it on your own kind of thing, which was stupid. And... 
I did. I went over there on my own, which is a massive regret of mine, but you live and learn, don't you? Um, so well, like, still, you went and did it, didn't you? You never know if it would have happened again. Of course, yeah, it would have been like one hell of a story, wouldn't yeah. it? It would have been a... It would have been it's what, like Rocky a, in the snow. It would have been a, <laughs> yeah, it would have been a chapter for the autobiography if I'd have won the Commonwealth. Um, but sadly, that went wrong and got over to Australia, went over there seven weeks before alone, met a trainer through social media, said, will you train me? Because he trained a former world champion, Jarrett Fletcher. And... Um, who boxed Billy Joe Saunders over here. So he was okay, one yeah. of Australia's big names. So I thought I'd be in good hands over in Brisbane. Travelled over to Australia um, alone, seven weeks, training with these guys. But I pretty much trained myself, did pads three times a week, but sparred when they told me to spar. But I was doing what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. I always made weight. I was very professional for the 10, 12 So you weeks. were preparing for Zarafa at this point? No, I was no. training for Butty Egg Still, again. yeah. And then seven, eight, nine days maybe before... I got a phone call off the promoter saying, but he eggs injured again. But he's got double vision this time, so he can't fight. And um, he then said, we're going to chuck in Zarafa. So I box Rex Zarafa, seen that he'd been in with Quinlan. Um, he got knocked out by Quinlan, but he was decent. He was ranked 27th in the world at the time, yeah. something mad like that. Demanded some extra money and they said no, so I thought, oh, shit. <laughs> How different a boxer was he to Butty Egg as well in terms of preparation? Oh, it's completely opposite. So Butty Egg was a bit like me, come forward, let's have it out, kind of yeah. a tough kid. Zarafa's slick and he lot more knockouts on his record just he was better in every department he was probably my worst nightmare but I was that deluded and thought I could beat him I thought and I, I had no real choice it had already been it would have been a year since I boxed if I'd have turned this fight down and I couldn't just treat the Australia trip as a holiday I needed some money out of it because I hadn't been paid I hadn't been working so I had to take the fight and um, essentially he was just too good for me and he just smashed me to pieces really he didn't drop me didn't stop me but he was just too good he outclassed me I've never been hit so hard and so often yeah and that's probably you're almost a victim of your own bravery as well I suppose weren't you looking at now and the brain scans that perhaps I wonder if that that weight as well because super welter you know you're kind of average sized guys that that's why a lot of people love that weight division is because people are agile can bang but it's not like heavyweights where you get sparked out necessarily straight away and sometimes that can be can be worse kind of that repeat the repetitive damage yeah I think so Ed I think that was what happened with me I think I was too brave and I took where I was just fit and strong I was taking punch after punch and I could feel and round nine was the worst round of my career um, I remember my brother when I came back he said he was watching it because there was like you could buy it for pay-per-view and watch over here Yeah. and uh, he said he was watching it he said he was nearly crying because I was getting battered that badly oh, he said it was the worst round of my Horrible, career yeah. uh, and I just remember in that ninth round literally I can remember vividly thinking to, my, to myself during that round after this fight, just re- you can retire the man that was never stopped. Just do not get stopped. Yeah. But looking back now, I probably I truly think this was the damage that caused my brain change on my scan. Yeah. Because it was 12 rounds, which if you think 36 minutes of getting punched in the head isn't good for anybody, and sadly that's exactly what it was. 36 minutes of getting punched. So it was a it was a brutal fight, and it was uh, ultimately what caused the damage. Did it give you an epiphany as well? Not the brain scan, notwithstanding that maybe the levels people talk about levels in boxing. That for you, it, it perhaps was you couldn't reach that level. So maybe did it give you, I guess, a peace of mind in a sense that you kind of thought I could you could retire happy. Well, I was more thinking, how did this guy get knocked out by Quinlan? What's, what, <laughs> what's what, what if, if? Well, yeah, exactly. What's that? Yeah, yeah. yeah like, so yeah. If, he, if he's done this to me at Commonwealth level and he's been knocked out at world level, it I, took Kelbrook the distance, didn't he? So. Do you know what he gave Cal Brook? He gave Cal Brook some real trouble in that fight. Yeah. And I know people say it's because Brook changed trainer, etc., etc. And in my opinion, Brook. This was in December in Sheffield, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. And um, Brook's probably not been the same fighter since his two bad injuries, but he gave Brook a hell of a fight, and he's a top fighter himself. But um, so Rafa was telling me at the weigh-in, uh, he was saying it's all about levels. You're going to find out about levels. 
And like I've said before, round two and three. <laughs> said to him afterwards, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, no, I was thinking, shit, <laughs> these are the levels he's on about, you know, everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was like my, my nose and my chin was a magnet for his right hand. It just He couldn't miss me all night. He just, he bashed me up, really. And I suppose you came, you came to sport relatively late as well, like you said. Um, but going back to that, what boxing's given you, a uh, platform, you talked to me, we had a coffee, and you, you said about the mentors and, and almost like father figures in the sport. Who, who are those guys that really, I guess, steered you in, on the right path, giving you not only the boxing skills, but the skills to, to combat life? Well, I guess I, I seeked like a father figure in every amateur coach I had and any male, positive male role model I've had because I've never had a... Obviously, I've never met my dad, so I probably... Without, I'm, I'm no psychologist, I can't... Um, I can't really ever figure it out myself but I can only guess that I've, I've seeked a father figure in all my coaches mainly like Malcolm Malvin my ex-pro coach I speak to him still you know if if I see him I speak to him now and yeah. if he rings me up I'll speak to him we'll still stay in touch Errol Johnson my manager you know I'll, I'll always speak to these people a guy called Andy O'Kane Joe, Joe Hughes' coach I rang yeah. him up not long ago Joe Hughes down the road in Bristol yeah yeah, not far yeah, from European, here, yeah. Uh, European champion um, I'll still speak to Andy I'll try to get some advice about coaching the amateurs the other day because I was having a bit of trouble with you know coming to you know getting getting used to how the amateurs are and I rang Andy for advice so I still see a lot of these people as father figures and I'll seek advice from them if and when I can and um, yeah it definitely gave me a lot of guidance boxing sport has given me guidance so you know it's definitely given me routine and structure um, which is I think is vital now that I've retired because there are a lot of pros who you see retire in all sports, not just boxing. Yeah, who will go off the rails with drink, drugs, gambling, women, like all the stuff that yeah. may sound great, but when you're blowing all your money on it, it's not really that. It's great. given you discipline, as it you think in other aspects of your life like business, and for you, it almost like you've applied the business to to finance. You've got you said property and and just the way that you go about your life and structure it. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely everything regarding that I'm very sensible now of what I do because even though how can I word this like money comes it can come easy but it can go easy can't it so I'm very yeah. sensible of what I do now I'm I'm, I'm still all about working I, I want to I, I try to keep myself busy I want to you know by the time I'm 40 my plan is that boxing will be my sole income really? whether it be coaching in still in a capacity I don't know how refereeing um other little avenues that I've got going on with boxing at the minute to do with education so I've got loads of different things going on and so it's definitely given me structure and more to the point it's given me something in my life I enjoy doing yeah right that I, you know hopefully I can get a full-time wage one day when you add it all up together rather than working the days when I was working in cost cutter and stuff <laughs> when I was at college you know doing jobs you hate and I've done jobs I hate doing and I don't want to be in you know life's too short you want to do something that you love doing which is boxing and I still love it I'm not going to be one of these bitter angry ex-pros and there's a few of them about I speak to a couple of them they may not admit it but you can tell that you have to move on yeah. yeah of course and I'm content with what I've achieved and like I said I had a great in my opinion I had a great career um, I'd like to think I'm respected I was good to the game of boxing and I'm giving back now and so I've got nothing to be bitter about or angry I'm, I'm very content with what I've achieved and you know, I still want to achieve a lot more. I want to be the one of the best, if not the best ref in the country one day. And I still want to do my coaching with the amateurs. So I, look, I'm very ambitious. And that's another thing sport's given me. It's made me very ambitious. I, I can't set, settle for second best. If, if I'm no good at something, I, I don't really want to do it. It may sound a bit childish, but no, me and you were to play FIFA now. I, don't want, <laughs> I, don't want to I haven't be, played it since about 1998, but yeah, I need to. Well, I definitely want to be beating yeah. you 5-0 then. That's my <laughs> point. So I'm very competitive for what I want to do. Boxing's given me that. I'm very competitive and... 
it's given me manners and respect. I, you know, I like to think I'm polite and I'll always... You are, yeah. So it's given me everything, really. I'm, I'm very grateful to a sport that's given me so much financially and, you know, in my life generally. Yeah, it's interesting that with boxing, that crossover between making of, of young men in particular, obviously women's boxing and Shannon Courtney, people like that are kind of proving that you know, she's come off difficult times in her life and, and got, got with boxing as well. So it's obviously working for young women as well. But that that link with providing guidance, particularly for, for young men without dads, because reading a, a statistic the day that you know look at the gun crime and the violence in america in certain neighborhoods and they link it really high disproportionate number of of young men without dads and it, it can lead to like say the mum quite can't quite control them you know i think it's important if you've got daughters and you know my, my little girl mum's definitely number one but i'm sure i have a, a positive influence but i think with lads having that just ability to to know your boundaries respect people is is key isn't it, and it it's giving you that platform for a, i guess just to conduct a successful life yeah, I think I agree with you there, Ed. And I think, like, looking back at our childhood, me, me and my brother, even though, like, look, me and my mum have had a bit of a frosty relationship. Obviously, we had a breakdown in relationship at 16. She was, like, a single mum and brought us up superbly until, obviously, I was I left home at 16. Do you 16. speak to her now? Yeah, we speak. We we don't speak as much as we should, but we we still speak. And um, but she did a superb job until we were 16. But we, we, me and my brother, after both, probably admit that we weren't, the greatest kids as in because we never had a father figure or any boundaries yeah we kind of like do what we want not that probably sounds a bit dramatic we were never out till stupid times but if we wanted to do something we were going to do it because we had no boundaries we just do what we wanted when we wanted sometimes you need that fear factor of dad don't you a little bit i think yeah, and your mum slaps off hurting when you're about 13, 14. So. Well, my mum used to call, yeah, because we had this discussion, and my wife was never smacked or anything like that, but I remember my mum used to smack us on the bottom, I one of four boys, and then it'd be like, if you really wound her up, you'd, you'd call for dad, and you'd sort of go running. Yeah, well, we, we obviously, we didn't have the dad aspect, so yeah. we had the mum slapping, and when that got when that got less painful, the slipper or the shoe came out, and then when we were 14, 15, that just didn't bother us at all. So, no. Yeah, we never had the boundaries or the fear factor, like you're saying, so we... We were kind of allowed to run free and do what we wanted, which isn't good. Hmm. Um, so I definitely agree with that. But now boxing's given me this, and that's why I'm a massive advocate that, especially young young people, both male and female. It's been linked to reduced crime in East London as well recently. They put boxing classes on. They think the crime in the area goes down. Yeah, that doesn't shock me one bit. I mean, one, it doesn't just tire you out, the fitness around it, but the discipline in a boxing club. So at Worcester City, my old amateur gym, um, where I ended up, there's a guy called Mick Underwood, MBE Mick Underwood. He's been doing it 50 years, but wow. the, the amount of uh, lives he's changed through boxing is unreal. And um, it ties you out as well, doesn't it? That's it's what I'm a big thing. Yeah. So you go home and you're knackered. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is cause any trouble and go out and do anything. But if he has people come down who will cause trouble in the gym, he kick them out of the gym so that they know that they can't just be. It's not just about being well behaved for the two hours in the gym. Yeah, they need to you know conduct themselves. They're representing a club and. Yeah, I guess they're an ambassador for a club so they've got to behave outside otherwise you can't be bringing yeah. trouble down to the club so for me I'd say that not just boxing but I would always be a massive advocate of boxing sport or anything to channel yes. the it's just a matter of energy it's excess energy isn't it you don't want to sit around and necessarily read books or talk or study like little boys you know in particular I've got a nephew and same age as my daughter but just you know you feel sorry for him because he keeps getting in trouble with everyone because he's causing trouble but he's just he's got so much energy yeah especially if you're boisterous and you just want to you know you want to be out and about doing stuff like playing sport is so good for young people I think it like I said it gives them something to channel their energy into and something to focus Played on play the rules as well don't you of course and and the discipline it gives you for like for life lessons the life lessons of boxing has given me You've got to be up at a certain time. You've got to do this. I remember before boxing, the thought of going when I was doing four to two, like days work, whatever it may be, labouring or whatever. It felt like a lifetime, and you thought, "Yeah, I can't do this forever." But now, 
I can run for two hours. I can train. So a day's work is relatively easy. It's just taught me that yeah. there's basic like basic boundaries you need to do. Easier than getting hit in the face by Michael's a referee anyway. Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. So it's just taught me that there's 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 basic guide like boundaries that you need to follow each day you need to be getting out of bed going to bed at a certain time going to work breeds a courage as well doesn't it because you were talking it was really interesting about when you went to fights and you know you talk about the fight or flight hormone adrenaline and you get that buzz you were saying that part of you before you get there and you look at it you're sat and everything oh, i could just turn around and go home now but then as soon as you engage it's it gives you that courage to push you over the edge into the ring yeah so on the way to the amateur fights you'd see the sat nav and you'd have 45 50 minutes maybe an hour and a half to get there and you think that you're in your comfort zone then as soon as you see the last half an hour the panic starts to set in then you see the checkered flag on the sat nav and that's when the nerves kick in and then when if you have i used to sell quite a lot of tickets as an amateur i'd always have 10 20 people come and watch me all around the country and um there's this is no joke there's been times when i've been in the changing rooms and i've been kitted up or i've gone to the toilet and i've considered just doing a backdoor shuffling getting out of the venue and just thinking yeah. what's the worst that could happen my mates might laugh at me but i don't really want to do this it's <laughs> a mad thought to go for your yeah, head only yeah. for a split second and then you'd think but it's chemicals isn't it hormones yeah. yeah and then i'd tell myself shut up adam just get, get out of there and, and i'd have the best time of my life but the thoughts that would go through my head were mad you know but like you said that courage it gives you and then for my pro fights i was just thriving in it I, I, if anything i thrived under the pressure i thrived when i was boxing on the Sky Sports show at the press conference. Yeah, uh, I love the thought of being the underdog in every fight and all the pressure of the potentially getting knocked out in front of people. That didn't bother me, and I've told you earlier, none of that bothered me one bit. The bit that bothered me was the ticket selling stuff. So the courage of it has given me courage to be. I can speak publicly now. I can engage with everybody. I can. I can do whatever I want. Really, it's given me the courage. That as long as you put put maximum effort into it anything you can do yeah. you can achieve whatever you want to achieve yeah incremental gains and all, and all that stuff when you look at refereeing what what made you think about going into refereeing rather than you know you say you love your fitness maybe being a trainer physical trainer or like a, a technical coach what was it about refereeing that grabbed your attention because oftentimes boxers and sports people don't always like the referees well yeah do you know this is funny so i was at the show my first show on saturday and john Pegg came up to me and he said, well, it's a good job you don't mind. The trainer of Sam Eggington. Trainer yeah. of Sam Eggington. European, former European champ. He, he said to me, he said, he told the, the Midlands Boxing Board they've made a good choice recommending me as a, as a boxing referee because I've done a bit of commentary for my old promoter on their shows and I've scored um, like on the big title fights. I've been commentating for some of my, like my good friends in boxing and I've said that they've lost the fights and John Pegg said that's unusual for fighters to go against their friends. Yeah. And then he just said, uh, I don't mind being hated. That's unusual. That's a bit scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, uh, he said There's, it's not, not like uh, other fighters to go against their friends. He said, you don't mind being hated in the sport. You, you don't mind having enemies because it's, you know, in boxing, you, the bravado that goes with it. And then, so he said that uh, he thinks I'd be a good ref. And the thing that did it for me was I was speaking to my old manager, Errol, about a few months before the brain scan change happened. And I said, I don't know what I want to do when I retire, not knowing that this was going to come. And I said, it would either be coaching or refereeing. And he said to me, I don't think you'd be able to cope with the ref. No, he said, I don't think you'd be a good coach, not in the sense of actual coaching. Yeah. He didn't think I'd be able to cope with the boxers not putting effort in. Just like recreational coaching for people who are just doing it as a hobby. Yeah, and, and the amateurs and stuff. So, and he said, if, if and even the pros, there's some lazy pros out there. <laughs> I'm being serious. He said, I don't think you'd be able to cope if the, the boxers you were training didn't put as much effort in as you. He said, I think I don't think you'd be able to cope. And that's turned out to be true. Well, your hard work could have maybe outperformed maybe your talent or maybe the experience you had. Whereas I think other people perhaps rely on that sort of knock, knockout power or something, don't they? Some, yeah, some I think there's a lot of fighters who rely on their skill rather than. Like I won't mention names, but I've trained with people over 
over the years who are naturally probably got the talent of a world champion, yeah. but they've got the work ethic of a sloth. And it's, <laughs> you put it together and it's, it's not a healthy combination. And that's what used to really get to me seeing that. So I couldn't train somebody. So we said, I think you should go down the refereeing route. So I, w- I was always going to after that conversation. And then sadly, a couple of months later, my brain scan came out of a change and I thought, I'm going to go down the refereeing route. That way, it's all about me. I can do what I want in the week, Monday to yeah. Monday to th- Sunday to Thursday, and at the weekend I can do the refing. I haven't got to be in the gym every night with boxers coaching them. I can still do my own training, my running, and enjoy life a bit more, and then just concentrate on the refereeing. And I don't know how to word it. It's still a, like boxing's a selfish sport, so it's all about yourself, and so is refereeing. Individual, yeah, yeah. It's all individual refereeing. It's not about me and a team and a boxer. If I make a mistake when I am refing, if I get that far, like the responsibility of that, yeah, yeah, I want to be, I want to be still in the spotlight a bit and be, be in the big. <laughs> I tell fight. you what, it's a tough one though, isn't it? You don't want to be in the spotlight too much as a ref because there's so many fights where people criticise, particularly the judges' scorecards or referees that allegedly end fights too early or, or call them off too, you know, or, or don't call them off early enough. You think about is it Howard Foster in Frotch Groves one. Think about the referee from Deontay Wilder's perspective says that Tyson Fury is the count was too long in that fight and it's tough but the one thing that always gets me is that every time there's a points decision in a big fight and it's relatively close there's always an upcry and they say oh it's a wrong result but the way the system is with the kind of you know 10 nine, nine rounds unless you knock someone out and it's all subjective whether you, whether you score those rounds and then you add up the rounds at the end of the fight and then you sort of decide who's got the most points and it's you know it's definitive end if someone gets stopped but otherwise it's a strange system what do you make of the scoring system because people always cry about the judges but really they're complaining about the system aren't they because it can be that you can just get out box for for six rounds but still still win would you know i don't know how to i've got to be careful what i say for one thing anyway you put me on the spot now i think but um it's got i think a helicopter going over we'll wait for that to just pass <laughs> not not looking for us i don't think there it goes but you said about that put you on the spot about the, the system yeah so obviously the judge <laughs> It's hard, isn't it? It's all subjective in the sense of if me, you and Joe Bloggs say we're, we're all judging a fight, it's all going to be all really our opinion. So we yeah. all judge it based on, a, you know... The, Some rounds can be so tight as well, can't they? Of course. So this is what... I had my first scoring test on Saturday and um, my scores weren't identical to the referee in in the ring, but but every fight, the same winner was picked, which is it's nice knowing that I'm on the same kind of wavelength as the referee that was in the ring. Um, but it is all subjective. I mean, me and you could see something completely different. One thing I did notice is you can see different things, like di- things can actually be in your way when you're judging ringside, whether it be other people, you see different things. So it is all subjective. Um, I can't really say a lot more than that. Cause you're Do you think sometimes that like it's a 10-9 round if you get really outboxed and you don't get knocked down because then it becomes a 10-8? Should it be a 10-8 sometimes if someone comprehensively just outboxes another guy doesn't land? Do you think you're allowed to do that or is it just seems to be that it's always a, a 10-9 generally? I believe there can still be a 10-8 round um, if there isn't a knockdown. I believe that is... I'm sure that is the case in the rules. I'd have to double check there. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I'm not qualified yet, so <laughs> I'm not doing anything wrong saying that. But I'm sure there can still be a 10-8 round if it's a very dominant round, and it can still be a 10-8 round without a knockdown. I'm sure that is the case. Uh, what, what's the thing you're thinking with a big one is, is health and safety? Because you know, people go to box. We talk about health and safety. Some people say boxing is barbaric. The health can, the repercussions of concussion and chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We looked at that with the Will Will Smith film about the brain damage and what it can cause. But people can then get up cry if they think you've, if you've stopped the fight too early. What's your take on that? If anyone's in any kind of danger, you're just going to be jumped straight in? Well, they say, don't they, it's, um, 
it's better to stop it too soon than too late and I, I believe that is true you can't you can't put a price on other fighters health really um, so yeah I, 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 regarding that I think you have got the, the boxer safety is paramount isn't it and I think it's, it should be an all sport but yeah regarding the boxing and refereeing I think you have to have the boxer safety as your first you know, your first thought as a referee this helicopter is actually doing loops over us in, uh, in central Cheltenham. It's uh, pretty mad at the moment. I think it's now hovering above us. I'll tell you what, mate, we just walk inside, get a bit of uh, quiet. Apologies for this, guys. Just going to walk in. Here we go. Just close that. Yeah, that's. I think we might actually try and land on our front lawn. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, but yeah, you said about that refereeing thing. I mean, do you think... I suppose the fighters generally respect referees. I suppose it's a little bit different than football because they've actually got your or their lives in their hands, haven't you, to a certain extent? Yeah, I've never had any issues with any of the refs who have refed me. Um, granted, I think that you hear some grumbles in the sports, but I think that's going to be like a just a bit of voice of any sportsman, isn't it? If they if they feel a referee's or any sportsman in any sport has cost them a victory, they're going to be a bit sour about it. So you do you ha- I have heard sour comments in the past over the years that I have been boxing, but I think that's really a reflection of the boxers yeah. rather than anything else. Yeah, and it's also like what it teaches you in life. I think sometimes with boxing, when it goes to those scorecards, unless you think it's been an absolute you know kind of scandal, and I think people do sometimes genuinely have a reason to to be aggrieved. But often it teaches that thing in life that sometimes things don't feel fair. It's subjective, it's opinions, and it almost breeds something that whether you find that in business or whatever else, it's just like kind of move on, crack on, don't you, to a certain extent. I think it probably does breed that that sort of resilience. Yeah, of course. I um, 100% agree there. So you, without, how can I word it again? Um, you've just got to crack on with it. I mean, these people, have they've obviously qualified to do what they do at a high level because if you're boxing at a high level where you need judges, which is... Um, English title level and above um, these guys have been refereeing and judging for years to get to yeah. that level which I've just realised myself so maybe it's a case of the boxers being uneducated not realising that these guys have to go through like quite rigorous scoring tests it takes years to get to that level as a yeah. referee and a judge but they still like different things don't they that's the amazing thing about it some people have a preference for come forward fighters some like people who are back foot and tricky and skillful we get told I think in my, my referee's guidebook we got it says that we shouldn't have we shouldn't judge a fight based on our own preference. Well, obviously, I'm a massive really? advocate of oh, that's uh, interesting. aggressive fighting. Like, that's how my whole style has been on. High intensity, been, yeah. Yeah, all action. But if someone's getting their head pinged off left, right and centre for 10 rounds, you can't give them the fight just because they've been aggressive and move forward. So, yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's a hard one. It is really a hard one. It's all, like you said, it's all subjective and it's all opinions, really. And that's, I don't know whether that's the love of it or that's well, the beauty of it and... Yeah, well, I think it is. That's the kind of yeah. Talk people like almost like to complain, don't they? So they go talk about it for furiously uh, two uh, two uh, days afterwards. Did Pacquiao win the fight? Did he lose the fight? Whatever it, whatever it might be. But one thing you don't have to do as a referee, of course, is make weight. We talked about that before we started recording, and you kind of alluded it to there that now you still enjoy jogging, but you don't have to make weight. Now you, you bowled up my driveway, and you're a pretty decent sized guy. You must be sort of what five ten, five eleven, or something like that. And yeah, and five eleven on a good day. Five eleven on a good day, and you're not you're not you know you're not kind of a, a natural skinny frame you're not what they call an ectomorph either. they're going to real long long limbs so it must have been brutal to make 154 11 11 stone particularly as you head towards 30 and you naturally fill out and get the, the man strength they talk about I think you're being kind to me there saying <laughs> I'm not an ectomorph I think I'm definitely the endomorph scared of it but no yeah it was it was uh 
it was never nice. Like I explained to you, at the age of 20 on my first amateur fight, I was near enough 77 kilos, 76 something, which is what, 12.5. Um, so that's like nearly light heavyweight and professional. That'd be yeah. 175 pounds. Is, that'd be like kind of, yeah, 173. And I had all my amateur fights in the middleweight category, around 75, but if it were club shows, could be anything up to 77. Um, and I stopped a lot of people in the amateur. So at 41 fights, I stopped over 10 lads. Yeah. So I carried a lot more power. And people always say I couldn't punch in the pros, but I was dead at the weight in the sense of... Show me some pictures. You look like emaciated, didn't you? I look like a skeleton wrapped in skin, yeah. And people people who were around me, my brother and people who lived with me and came training with me when we went to Ten- Tenerife quite a lot training, the way I had to diet and train was... Uh, it was frightening, really. That heat as well. It's difficult, isn't it, to be training without any blood sugar? Yeah, of course. And the diet was very... It was black coffee, litres of water and living on a nutrition plan for 10, 12 weeks just to make that weight. I Did, couldn't it's cheat. hard to get enough vitamins and stuff, isn't it, presumably, and, and kind of things for your joints? Yeah, and... yeah we, it was it was the supplement. Obviously, we had to have beyond the required supplements we yeah. needed to get anything. That our, our diet wouldn't allow us and... It, it was a strain. Like anyone who knew me knew how tough it was. I didn't have a social life for 10, 12 weeks. It was easier for me to go running, go to training, go home to bed and just avoid <laughs> everyone. We think sport's healthy and keeping fit, but you think all the exercise you're doing, but maybe, but all the impact of that long running on your joints, but also like that strain on your your body, that must take time. Not, 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 you know, forgetting about getting hit and sparring and hitting the fights, but that's tough on your body's system, isn't it? To be constantly stressed like that. Yeah, hundred percent. And you've seen me now. Like I don't, don't get me wrong. I've got a little belly. I haven't got my, no, my six pack anymore. Well, but, no, you know. But my point being, like, um, it it was it was horrible to make that weight. But you could become obsessed with it, so it becomes regular. You can, I jump on the scales and I could be. Normally, I'd be between thirteen seven and thirteen ten, wow. and I have to start training to get down to eleven stone. And yeah. granted, I didn't help myself in the sense of look, I love my chocolate, I love my cakes and biscuits, whatever it may be. Everything I shouldn't enjoy, I enjoyed when I wasn't training. But for those ten twelve weeks, I'd live like a Spartan. Yeah. And then this is someone who didn't go out partying. I never drank. Yeah. Um, so you're losing more than thirty pounds, and you think about that. Wow, twenty eight. Yeah, around thirty five pounds. Yeah. And that was that was every training camp. Um, even after I hydrated, I'd go up to over twelve stone, around twelve stone or over twelve stone after I weighed in. So like making weight was like yeah. the worst part. A lot of that's based on not. I know you didn't choose your weight. A lot of that's based on fear on the part of trainers and coaches. They're always like obsessing about oh the other guys are going to be bigger, so you can get more advantage as you go down. But then the flip side of that is like you said, you don't carry the power because you're drained. Yeah, I was. I was not dead at the weight's the wrong word and. I felt good during training, but it'd be that last four or five pounds for me. It would, and the amount. So of you should have been a middle weight then, probably. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I'm not tiny for. No. I think I was very tall for light middle. I was bigger than every opponent apart from Zarafa, and we were a similar height. Yeah. Um. So I was always relatively. I think I'm quite tall for like you say. Yeah. Like Eleven stone. I'm, but you're also quite broad naturally. Yeah, yeah. My legs are chunky, and like I said, you've seen pictures. And everyone else has seen pictures. People used to say I look like I've been in a concentration camp and if I've been I'm not trying to speak about it in a derogatory way but people say I look like a drug user when I was mm. when I was making weights I was so frail and skinny and pale I had no no colour yeah. to me but all anything. your kidneys and livers must be under strain as well because you said you might be breaking down muscle at that point sometimes yeah I think I must have been taken off I must have been taking out all the goodness of my body even though I'd, I'd seen a nutritionist for the first time to make 11 stone for the Kelly fight like I had to do everything perfect and I mean everything perfect no cheating for 10 12 weeks yeah and um that was like hard within itself but you know you have to do it if you want to make this weight yeah you have to do it and I became obsessed with the thought of 
you know, being this British champion or I, I thought put my limitations at British title. I knew I could never go above that. And that's not being negative. It was always being realistic and it's proved to be realistic now because I never even reached British title level. Yeah. Um, but I just became... A well, you might have done. Who knows? Well, I got offered the Ted Cheeseman fight two days before I retired. Yeah. Who who lost a European title fight for people who don't know in sort of the last of six, drew, seven months and they just had a draw. Yeah. yeah, he just drew against Kieran Conway. And... Um, Conway's a good fighter. I'm not a massive fan of him personality-wise. We we collided a bit during our career on social media, but I did say that that would be the best time to get Cheeseman after that loss. Yeah. Um, and it probably he would have been... He was cruelly outboxed by a guy called Garcia, wasn't he? Yeah, Sergio Spanish Garcia, guy, yeah. the Spanish guy, yeah. And he was... Uh, not the golfer. <laughs> yeah, and he got, he, got, he got hammered by him badly. And I said this would be the best time to get him, but obviously with the change in that, I thought I decided to stay retired, but... So essentially, I could have potentially made British title level. Malcolm always said that I should have been his first British champion as a coach, but it is what it is. And but also now, like as well, you're out of the sport personally. You know, you talked about not having a dad yourself. You, you still got that ahead of you potentially. Is it more realistic to entertain having a family when not being a boxer, living in those those camp lives? Do you think? Yeah, hundred percent. I've definitely not going to say I've entertained the idea, but for the last ten years, I've kind of put chasing skirt to one side <laughs> and just thought. It was all about boxing, boxing, boxing. And this is no joke. If you'd have offered yeah. me Cheryl Cole or the chance to box for an English title, it would have been the English title all day long. But, box Cheryl uh, Cole, for Cole for the English title. Yeah, that, that, that's a mixture I could take <laughs> yeah. now. But if you... um, Yeah, my priorities have changed now. So boxing is just... Uh, for those 10 years boxing was my life now yeah. it's like part of my life you have to be quite selfish to be an elite level sports person don't you you have to devote a lot of time to it I think it's hard particularly since you know I've become a father you do it's energy draining and it's, it's something else that you have to think about whereas I think I've spoken to a lot of sports people that when they're in that zone you know for however many hours a day it is you have to sort of limit all your stress and all your your kind of distractions yeah this is uh, it's no exaggeration I was literally getting up for my run I'd go training I'd maybe have to train, if I trained, ran and then train, maybe train again after, and then I'd go back to bed and sleep yeah. all day. So it, it, that's all it consists Yeah, you can't get, you can't get up with a baby in the night, but then you feel guilty if your partner is, and you'll see, so it's a tricky one, isn't it, I think? That's that? why I was happy just to bypass everything. I didn't have a social life with the lads. Like, it's great now that I'm a normal person, as you could say. Yeah. I go out with my friends. We went out last week, we go out for meals all the time, go to the cinema. Go out in Cheltenham, do you, or was it local? Uh, I went to the cinema in Cheltenham, then went yeah. to Hambo, the burger place in Worcester. So like, we did these uh, okay, nice burgers. Yeah, yeah. So like, I can just leave, lead a normal life now. But before, for those 10 weeks, I wouldn't speak to anybody in person. It'd be all on the phone. I didn't want to socialise. I wouldn't even want to go to Costa because... This if I saw someone eating a cake who was mates with me and they would sit eating bad food near me, I'd see it as an insult that they knew what I was going through and I just didn't want to be put in that situation. So yeah. I'd, I'd literally live a monk lifestyle for 10, 12 weeks at a time. Just a final thought as well. Would you ever speak to your dad, do you think, to get closure on that or are you, are you happy with that situation, not, not knowing him? No, I'm content. No, I don't need... like. There was a time in my life when I probably did need him when obviously I was younger at 16. Yeah. But no, I'm very content with my life now. I don't, don't need any... He just couldn't handle it, could he, at the time? Is that what your mum says? Do you, do you know what? Nah, from reading between the lines, he wasn't the nicest of pe- like people. He was in the army and um, my mum hasn't got many good things to say about him. So I'm going to have to go with her word because she's done a lot more for me than he has. So, uh, yeah, I'm content with my life. I've got, I'm very close to my brother. I've got other, um, not blood family, but people that I, I call my family have helped me a lot. So I'm content not knowing my dad. I don't really want a relationship with him and life goes on. Boxing's over. 
I've never yeah. met my dad, and like boxing is more important than my dad. And well, good for you, mate. You definitely you've had a you've had a great boxing career, and you've got a great future ahead of you. And he must have been, I think, you know, being a dad, he must have been quite broken not to be able to deal with that responsibility at the time. Um, but for for you now, when people want to, it's a great story to follow the next chapter, becoming a referee, coaching up at the University of Worcester as well. Where can they where can they follow you? Because it is a world now where we can keep on top of it, not keep on top of each other. <laughs> Maybe if uh, you're over exuberant, but you can keep in touch with each other and follow stories. Yeah, I'm on all social media, um, Twitter, a Harper nineteen eighty eight. But any uh, any abuse, and they get blocked straight away. Do they, yeah. yeah, they get blocked. I got no. What do they abuse you about? To be fair, I haven't got any abuse that, apart from the people have never boxed like me saying, "Oh, you're rubbish" or whatever. I yeah. never got any of the rubbish stuff. I just get the occasional fans of Xboxers used to give me grief saying that their mate would knock me out, and uh, they just used to get blocked straight away. But yeah, Instagram. I just feel some people are unha- must be unhappy or feel bad that they're so judgmental of people who are elite level sports people it's so strange to me well it just gives uh, this is why I'm not a massive fan of social media it gives everyone a platform just to be yeah. haters and free speech for hate and it's, it's not really my thing it's not thing. good for you to bring people I don't think it's good for people or healthy for them to bring other people down either no, I think it makes you feel bad inside deep I'm, down I'm with you on that Ed I think if you but I remember I used to be a bit of a um, before I started boxing at a high level as an amateur, you'd, I'd be one of those trolls on Twitter because I didn't realise about what it was yeah. all about but now I've been a victim of it I guess that's karma has come back to bite me on the backside, but yeah, uh, I'm on Twitter, social media, Instagram and stuff. So it'd be good if people want to follow my career and Brilliant. hopefully I'll be doing something good with the university boxing team and yeah, you know, so should have some good things coming on. Wish you the best of luck. No, Get those scores. <laughs> Absolutely spot on. I expect you to be in world title fights in Vegas there, marking your cards. And, uh... and hopefully by the age of 40, I'll be um, <clears throat> fighting, refereeing British title fights maybe and we, we don't know, but I want to be there as quick as I can, yeah. Brilliant. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Ed. Lovely.